Well, the Winter Olympics have begun in South Korea. How many of you are fans of the Winter Olympics? Oh, yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Now, one person you want to watch is Lindsay Vaughn. Lindsay Vaughn. She is an amazing alpine skier. In fact, some argue that she's the greatest skier that's ever lived. When you think about the World Cup, which is just below the Olympics, she has won 81 World Cup races, more than anyone ever. <laughs> so that's a lot of talent. She got started early when she was three years old. Her dad and grandfather were competitive skiers, so they got her going there when she was three, and they trained her well. And she has, uh, of course, been very successful and she's an amazing woman that she works through all kinds of pain. She's broken her ankle. She's blown out both knees. She has shattered her humerus. Uh, she has severed a tendon in her hand. But she just keeps on going. She's an amazing athlete. Now, the question is, what does God think about Lindsey Vaughn? Is God impressed by all the things that she's accomplished. Well, we'll really never know because we don't know what's going on in our heart. Paul said, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. A man after God's own heart. David is the only one that a description is made to. A man after God's heart. And notice the key to having a heart for God is obedience. Who will do all my will? You know, you have a heart for God when you're sinking with God, you're abiding in Christ, you're walking with the Spirit, and you just have desires to do what He would have you do in your life. Now, King David, uh, we're going to be studying his life over the next six weeks, and he is just an amazing person. In fact, did you know that King David's name is mentioned more often than any other person, and even Jesus Christ? Sixty-six chapters devoted to the life of David. 1,100 times his name is mentioned. He is a central figure in the Old Testament. I'm really looking forward to diving into his life. And I would encourage you, if you're not studying any particular thing in the Bible at this time, you take the next six weeks and you learn about David. You, you seek and ask the Lord to show you new things for David's life. Because we could... I could teach all year on David. There's so much there. Uh, but take an initiative and say, okay, I'm going to take my time on God, my tag time, and I'm going to learn about David. You can get a book on David, uh, whatever it might be. Because as you journey along, and especially as I teach, uh, those things come together for a more enriching spiritual experience. As we all know, it's time alone with God that builds a heart after God.
So King David was a shepherd. He was a giant slayer. We'll talk about that next week. That's a fun one. He's a mighty warrior. Again, he was the greatest warrior in the Old Testament. He built a large, large nation because of his military exploits. He was a poet. He was compassionate. He was a musician. Remember his lyre, right? And he'd play for Saul when he got in a bad mood. <laughs> he's a lover of God. A man of great political skill. You've got to figure if he's leading uh, the nation that's the largest in the world, he's got to have some of those skills. He's a husband and father. Now, that's where we see some of the weaknesses of David, and we'll talk about those. But he is a great leader. The most important thing you need to remember about David is that he is a type of Christ. T-Y-P-E. That's a theological word, which means that someone is a symbol of someone else or someone is foreshadowing the life of someone else. And we talk about the gospel, how it goes from Genesis to Revelation and everything. It's about Jesus Christ. All of scriptures. And so, David, we'll see in him many things that we will see in Christ. And we need to take time to, to notice that and uh, kind of tie it in with everything we know about scripture. Now, <clears throat> David is such a popular character, and so many of us can relate to him because... He wrote the Psalms. He wrote the majority of them, at least. And, and he just pours his heart out in the Psalms. Now, if we just had the historical record of David, and that was it, well, he wouldn't be that special of a character. But we can go to his diary and watch him as he goes throughout his life with all different types of emotions. We look in Psalm 13. He says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It's pretty transparent, isn't it? Is it? God, where are you? I've been waiting on you. I've been praying. I've been hoping, but nothing's happened yet. Where are you? We certainly all have asked that question, haven't we? Sometimes God's timetable is much different than ours, but... Start reading the Psalms as part of this David series and see he's got the high mountaintops and he's got the low valleys. You think of Psalm 23, right? Written by David. Yeah. And a lot of scholars believe that he struggled uh, with depression. Yeah, as you read the different Psalms, I mean, high highs and low lows. And that's what, again, as we read it, we say, yeah, that's me. Not that I'm depressed, but if you do have an emotional challenge, like depression, anxiety, whatever, David is a great guy to read because we can resonate with him. Even though he was a king, a mighty warrior, he was an ordinary person that struggled with everyday life. Now, let's take a look at Israel's history. Israel started out as a theocracy. Not a democracy, but a theocracy. That meant that God was 
the president. God was the one who was running the government. Uh, You look in Judges and you see a series of different judges that came up for a particular time in order to deal with an issue in Israel. But still there was no king. There was prophets. We're going to talk about Samuel the prophet and they spoke for God. Well, it got to the point where the Israelites were saying, hey, (laughs) every nation around us, they have kings. Why don't we have a king? We want to be like the other nations. We want somebody to look at. We want somebody that we can, you know, know is leading us. So God finally decided to give him a king. And that was King Saul. You know, things weren't going well when he was hiding on the day that he was being named the king. Uh, he did a lot of good things. But the key thing is he did not have an obedient heart. One of the last stories in his life. He was preparing to go on a military campaign, and Samuel said, Now wait on this mountain for at least seven days, because I need to come and bless bless this uh, uh, battle uh, with the Lord's grace and the Lord's power. And it got to seven days, and Saul said, No, I'm going to go ahead and do it myself, because I want to be in control. And as soon as he does it, Samuel shows up. And says, oh, Saul, why? Why, why, why? Let's t- uh, turn to First Samuel 16.1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? It's interesting. When you think about Samuel being a prophet, he really loved Saul. Even though Saul kept making mistakes, he was just hoping and praying that one day he would get his act together. But finally God said, no, no, he does not have a heart for me. I'm going to choose a new king. Since I have rejected him, Saul, from being king over Israel. God said, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, in Bethlehem, where I provided for myself a king among his sons. So God was going to appoint a new king. And Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears it? He'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, Samuel had good reason to be fearful of Saul. Remember when David finally does come on the scene and what is Saul He wants to hunt David down and kill him. All of his energies because he doesn't want anybody to threaten his kingship. So, Samuel had a lot of fear. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. So God says, okay, I understand your fear. (laughs) God does understand our fears. And he says, this is what you do. You go there to make a sacrifice. That's good, right? Uh, they don't need to know the other thing that you need to do there. And that is appoint a king. So it really took a lot of faith for Samuel to go there. It's like you know, going to his death in his own mind. And God said, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. 
So when God says this, he's asking Samuel to step out in faith. To step out in faith. He says, hey, I will show you what you shall do when you get there. We don't like that, right? Now, God, tell me right now what's going to happen. <laughs> Got to lay it out for me, the strategy, because I don't see this thing coming together. Let me kill the lights for a second. When I get out of bed in the middle of the night, it's very dark. And my wife, who loves dogs, has a dog cage right at the end of our bed. And I tell you, I've hit my toe on that so many different times. So I found something wonderful about my phone. You shake it twice. Can, can an iPhone do that? Oh, I love it. Uh, it's great, right? I mean, because I can take it out and I can see everything. But I only can see to a particular degree. I can really just see what's right in front of me. And so in our spiritual lives, God said, your word is a light to my path. But it's just like a flashlight. It's, it doesn't, you know, cover 20 feet ahead. It's just when you take that next step. and That's what was going on with Samuel. He didn't know everything that was going to happen. The ending could be very bad, like him getting killed. But he took a step of faith, a step of obedience. And God said, hey, listen, when you show up, I'll tell you what to do. And that's trust, right? And that's the thing we struggle with. The most in the Christian life is giving up control and trusting Him. Maybe you're in a situation where right now where it seems dark, things are not going your way, you're in pain, and you're saying, what in the world is going on, God? What you need to do is just tune in to God's voice and listen. Listen to Him in the darkness. And see what he has to say to you through his word. All right. Let's put the lights back up. So, we see that Jesse, or excuse me, Samuel steps out in faith. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? When Samuel showed up, it was like the king showing up, right? He only had these prophets. And, I mean, if Samuel shows up in a small town like Bethlehem, everybody freaks out. It's kind of like, oh, no, it's got to be bad news. It's got to be bad news. Why would he show up here? But Samuel says, oh, don't worry about that. And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, commit yourselves, purify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab. Now, Eliab was the firstborn, and Samuel looked at him and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I mean, that, that's got to be the guy. 
I mean, he, he looks like Saul, but a much better version. I mean, he's the one who could fill those king's shoes. He's going to worry about him. <laughs> what does God say? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Not because he was a bad person, but he just wasn't the king. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Friends, if you want a heart for God, you've got to start paying attention to cultivating your heart for God, to growing your heart for God. God wants your heart more than anything. But the challenge is, Sinful natures, and we just kind of go the way our culture says and, and look at externals in judging people. For example, good looks. Let's say you're tall. Anybody say it's good to be tall? Tall people out there saying that's a good thing. Well, it is. It's a good thing to be tall because you can reach anything. I have to pull out a chair and stand on it and be reminded of my height. Also, in being tall, now this is studies that have done that shows for every inch you earn 3% more than other people. That's true. So it's a blessing to be tall, especially you don't gain as much weight because it's spread out over the whole body. <laughs> and tall people, they just have a presence about them, right? And if you're blessed with being tall, that's wonderful. Maybe not if you're a woman. It kind of goes back and forth there. But good looks, money, power, titles, status, clothes, cars, education, circle of friends, vacations. And we could go on and on in terms of how we size people up based on all these different things. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Those things are not important in the eternal view of things. It's all about the heart and how much your heart wants to follow God. People are always trying to change themselves. Now, I have had one of these cosmetic surgeries done. I just want to be, you know, let it out there. People know. Breast augmentation, 290,000 plus. That's our culture, right? Liposuction, 235,000. Eyelid surgery, 2,009,000. Tommy tuck, 147,000. Facelifts, 131,000. Now, the one that I had was eyelid surgery. And it wasn't for cosmetics at all. <laughs> My eyelid was drooping. And if I wouldn't have done something about it five years ago, I would not be able to see because my eyes would be over my eye. But people spend a lot of money. You just think about teeth. I don't know, I'm just hearing about teeth all the time. I walk in the dentist's office, all these pearly white smiles just blind me. And it's all about you got to have straight teeth, right? You get the Invisalign braces, and you got to have white teeth, so you work those teeth, and you're trying to get them whiter and whiter, because if they're whiter, people will love me. People.
not going to love you anymore because your teeth is white. That's a lie. Right? But we buy into it. And there's nothing wrong with keeping your teeth white, braces. I'm not saying anything about that. All I'm trying to do is point out, again, that our culture moves us in a certain way. You know, when you think about not attractive people who've made a difference, you think about Abraham Lincoln, right? He was not handsome. His friends used to make fun of him because he was tall and, and gangly and, and awkward. He wasn't anything to look at, but he had a heart, a heart for God, a heart for his nation. And that's why he's on our coins and currency and why he's enshrined on the National Mall. It's not what you look like. It's not the external stuff. Abraham Lincoln is a great example of that. Women in 1 Peter 3 are given counsel on how to reach their husband, who's not a Christ follower yet. And Paul says, well, show it in your behavior. Win them without a word. Then he goes on to say, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which which in God's sight is very, very precious. Ladies, it's easy, right? You get caught up in all types of ways to, you know, make you more attractive, that type of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? We appreciate that you do all that work. Thank you, thank you. But the question you need to ask is, do I put more energy into preparing my body so that I will be attractive to the world and people will like me, whatever, Or have you put more energy to developing a heart for God? And men, same thing, guys. Now, we don't spend this time. We don't spend any time getting ready. Just walk out the door. But there are other things that we do to try to look. You see these big ram trucks and stuff like that. And nothing against Ram trucks or anything like that, but many times people will buy a car, right, for status. They want to be seen in a certain type of car. Because your car goes everywhere with you. People say, well, your car, yeah, that's my car. I saved a long time for it, though, you know. Yeah. Again, selfishness can so easily get into our hearts. And Jesse made seven of his sons before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel's getting a little nervous here, saying, hey God, uh, where is this guy? Where, where is the next king? Because none of these guys, you've told me, each one has come up, no, 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 no. So Samuel thinks and asks this question. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? That's a great question, isn't it? Is there anybody else in the house? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. He's a shepherd. He's the punk in the family. 
We didn't think to bring him in at all. He's got to take care of the sheep out there. And Samuel said to Jesse, stand and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes down here. That must have been, yeah, we're going to stand. We're not going to sit in preparation to meet this young man. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, David, and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. It was the last guy that people thought would be the king. How tall was David? Well, I think he's probably short compared to the tall Saul and Eliab. And I'd say about 5'8", my height. Right? <laughs> I like to think that way at least. <laughs> Arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is the guy that I have been waiting for you to anoint. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went around. You can imagine David, right? He's coming from the fields. Yeah, he smells like organic fertilizer. <laughs> and he walks in and all of a sudden he sees Samuel there. And Samuel said, you're the guy. And he anoints him as king. David had no idea that he was going to be chosen as king. He really didn't know what his life had for him. He was just serving God. He, he was a shepherd. And I think the most interesting thing is that when he was a shepherd, God said, here is a man after my own heart. So while he was out in the fields, there is where he proved his love for the Lord. That's where he wrote these beautiful songs and played them with a lyre. I mean, just a shepherd, the lowest position you could have in that day. And what does God do? He puts him on top. God is always counterintuitive, right? It just doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to God. So we think about, okay, I want to have a heart for God like David. What does it mean to have a biblical heart? Well, one definition would say, okay, it's your mind, your will, your emotions, and your conscience. So we think about the mind. If we want to continue to become stronger disciples, move down the pathway, we have got to do everything we can to expose our mind to biblical truths, whether it be here on a Sunday or whether it be a small group or whether it be your time alone with God, or whether it be listening to Christian music, listening to Christian radio, the more you can saturate yourself with the Word of God, the more you can have a heart after God, and the more you're protected from all the things in this world that could cause you pain. You need to have a will, and that will, that's it's just... <laughs> naturally comes from within you, the will wants to follow God and not our own agenda. The natural desire as you grow more and more 
in uh, having a heart for God is to want to follow God. Wanting to be obedient to Him. That's not easy, is it? Not at all. How about the emotions? Emotions come and go, but if you walk with God, I can guarantee you that you will experience the joy of the Lord. You're saying, Dan, I'm in a spot where I don't think that's possible. Well, keep praying for it. Uh, you just had these moments when, wow, God is really at work here. And he kind of opens up the heavens and says, yes, I can see the light. I can see something, right? The joy of the Lord. Then conscience. We're so quick to default to the level of the world or the best Christian that we know. <laughs> Not as good as us, right? That's what we do. But we need to take the standard of the Word of God and do everything we can to obey it. Paul was addressing the people at Corinth, and they, uh, he's writing this letter, it's chapter 1, so it was the introduction, and this is what he has to say about them, very interesting. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Do you like to be called foolish? You like people calling you weak? Despised? On a low level. That's how it works. In fact, the more weak you are, the more despised you are, the more God can work through your life and impact lives for Him. And have God flow through you. I say, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. And the weaker you are, the more people will see me. See, our, our goal is not just to have it all together and think people, oh, wow, what a great guy or great gal. No, our desire is to have the heart of God and realizing that we are so weak. We don't tell anybody about it, but we know it's true. When we say, God, I give my weakness to you, I know that you can use my weakness to glorify you. So when people look at my life, they say, oh, that Dan Harrison, he's really good. You know, they say, wow, what's going on with Dan Harrison? That's not like, like <laughs> God's doing something in my life, right? And people are saying, well, I don't know where that came from. That's when God gets the glory, right? And you've got to really understand that. Or otherwise, you're just on this performance treadmill that will get you nowhere. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So let's just think about reality here. All right? Uh, 
with this size group, I know that there are many people who are struggling today. Uh, emotional challenges, physical pain, financial confusion. Yeah, we're all struggling with something, aren't we? What God says is, I want you to go out there tomorrow, on Monday, and go to work and work for me. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Yeah, that's hard to do. Being a mom, oh, God bless all mothers. I try to pray for all mothers when I see them with their kids. Because I, there's just a low level of stress that takes, you know, as you care for those uh, kids. Or maybe you're in a monotonous job. You just can't stay in your job. You do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, and you have no idea why God wants you in this job. You don't know what He's doing. Turn on the lights here so I can see the big picture. But God is at work in that job. Sometimes God's preparing you. I mean, look look at David. He spent all those years out as a shepherd, learning how to kill the lion and the bear and the slingshot. Playing the liar, which would help him. When you're in a difficult spot, you you need to realize that God is still working. As I look at my life and just the different seasons and what God has done through me, He's always preparing me for the next challenge. He's always giving me whatever I need. And I don't see it, but when it shows up, and hopefully it passes, I can say, wow, God. You really prepared me for that one. So, yeah, we don't understand sometimes what's going on. But God is in control. He's working in your life to bring good about. I love what Martin Luther King said. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and the earth will have to pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Don't you love that? I love it. Because Martin Luther is... Got a great theology there, biblical theology. Wherever God has placed you, He's placed you there for a purpose. And even as you work through the pain of it, He's still working through you to do amazing things. You just need to let Him do that and give your heart to whatever He has given you. But now your kingdom, Saul, shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Don't you want to be that person? The man or the woman who's seeking after God. We're not talking about perfection here. Because the more that we get closer to God, the more we realize His unbelievable grace. That's in our lives. When we fail, when we do stupid things, God is there. He's there. 
to give us forgiveness and to restore us. And Yeah. You can be close to God. Maybe you think, well, God doesn't want me. I'm not good enough. Uh, I really, really have messed things up. That's when God wants you, when you hit the bottom, right? Because sometimes that's the only time we wake up and say, oh, I should be trusting in God. It's all about obedience. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. What's the secret of having a strong heart after God? Well, the secret is to want to obey Him. To want to obey Him. Really, that's the fruit of the Christian life. As you look at your life over the last year or so, have you been obeying God? Have you been focused on Him as the top priority, as the Lord of your life? For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. God's instructions for life are the best. Now, when we go against them, we certainly feel it. So I'm asking you today, what's your next step of obedience? We think about what we've talked about today. How are you going to have a stronger heart for God? What is God asking you to do? Maybe right now you're in a decision-making process and... Maybe you're asking, what God, what He wants you to do? Well, keep asking, because He's going to come through. How about a sin pattern in your life? One of those sin patterns, oh, everybody does it. No, no, no. You need to look at what God wants. And yeah, you don't have the power to do it. But just like David was given the Spirit of God in his role as king, we have been given the Spirit of God All of us will become Christ followers. So remember that. You had the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, it was just individual people for certain times where you have that beautiful gift. A step into serving. We're a disciple-making family here. And we have all types of ways that you can serve. And come out to our spiritual gifts class and learn your spiritual gifts. And we would love to open a spot for you. Because that's where the joy comes from. Unhealthy relationships in your life. Oh, mercy. I've talked to so many people. (laughs) The relationship is so unhealthy, but they just can't see it because they're dependent upon that person and they're afraid of what will happen if they break that relationship off. Maybe you have one of those relationships. Well, if God is speaking through me today, just cut it off. Get a Christian friend to walk you through that and say, okay, I'm going to really trust in God because right now, even in a painful life circumstance, at least I know what's going to happen. But if I step away from this particular person, what then? Well, that's when God shows up, right? A lost person you need to reach. Having a gospel relationship with somebody. To love them with the love of Christ and spend time with them. Again, for one of the purposes being that you'll share the gospel with them. Well, friends, I want to give you some encouragement today. If you're struggling and you're saying, where's God? <laughs> During our prayer time in the 9 o'clock service, I had a guy come up, Mike Tarlick. And he's been out of work for four months. We've been talking with him, praying for him that he'd find a job. And he told me that he had found a job, that God had given him a job. Isn't that wonderful? 
But he's had to wait for four months wondering, God, when are you going to show up? Where are you? And, And the greatest thing is that the day he starts his job, his unemployment runs out. That's how God works, right? Give it a try. Put your faith in him. Obey him. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're in control. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. Help us just to step out in obedience this week in whatever way you've asked us to do. In Christ's name, amen.